0: B-b-b-b-b- bonus! Hey, how are you going, mere mortal listeners? We've got a bit of a bonus time. This is going to be a little bit of a looser, structured uh, ramblings, philosophizing thoughts for me on The Republic by Plato. So I've got the book here with me. I've previously done a book review that should have been released two days ago. So if you want to see my actual, real, structured thoughts on that, my impressions the general themes and whatnot go go to there this one's going to be a bit more of a deeper dive into some of the things that really stood out for me as well as I guess just just some rambling some some of the thoughts of my own life imparting them at the same time so let's just dive into it so no real structure here no real I guess best way of of going about it so Republic. Justice is the payment of debts. This is one of the first arguments against uh, Socrates' version of of what is justice. And it's sort of good to good and evil to evil, but errors uh, rear their heads that can be done to bad and vice versa. So, doing evil to another corrupts the evil further and makes the good person dishing out the evil also a bad person. So, this was when Essentially, Socrates was, was talking with his friends and one of them was saying, if you're a good person, if you're a just person, what you will do is you'll look after your friends, but you'll also punish the bad people. And Socrates' arguments against this was pretty much exactly that. He was saying, if you are a person who is doing evil in the world you, or, or dishing out harmful things to other people, that, that necessarily corrupts you and you can't therefore be the most just person. That got me thinking. I'm not sure I'd, I'd totally agree with that because there are instances where I think punishment is necessary. It is a form of ensuring control and making sure that people are doing the right things. Obviously, we if we had a lawless system, where and you can look at this as as a game theory sort of view as well. If you had only good people and one bad person in that system, that bad person is going to take the take over the system because they can lie to people and just take whatever oh i need the that hundred dollar coin i'll get i'll give it back to you soon and just take it and then never give it back so i I wouldn't agree i I would i would say that a just person isn't always in a sort of buddha-like only dishing out compassion wellness and kindness to everyone because i think that does a disservice to people who are doing things that you can it's, it's pretty hard to get objective here in in terms of, of what is good and bad but I think there's some things which we can all sort of somewhat get to the same point that that is objectively bad, killing another person for example and if you don't punish that person in some way whether that be a punishment via taking away their freedom which is what we do nowadays, whether that be putting them to death which is still what uh, at least occurs in the US. I think there's there's multiple reasons where you could say no that isn't just 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 letting that person go and doing what they want that that is not just. Obviously having a some sort of system where a people are raised in the correct manner where people have no need to commit crimes like that because most of those crimes probably are caused by poverty, are caused by circumstances rather than that person's innate desire to kill someone, yes. But then again, there are psychopaths out there who you can just look at, you, who have been proven, as much as you can prove anything, that something went wrong in their brain and it caused them to commit terrible deeds to other people. And that's that's not just. that That is not just. So one of his arguments, and I, I would sort of agree with him on a larger scale, that the person who said, Paying back debts and and just helping out friends and punishing enemies—that's probably not the correct form of defining justice. But his arguments against it, I wouldn't say completely convinced me either. Another argument was justice is the interest of the stronger, essentially might makes right, and the unjust is uh, stronger. So it was it was it was sort of sort of a circular argument in a sense that. The the guy who was arguing against Socrates was saying, look, being unjust is actually stronger, and therefore, if you're the stronger, might makes right. So, that is just. So, doing things which we would... And I think he was sort of playing with words a little bit when he was saying doing unjust. So, doing things which are bad, which are objectively bad, stealing, robbing, that makes a person stronger, so, therefore, that person who is stronger gets to decide the rules of what is good and what is bad. There's a similar sort of argument to this in Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. if you read that, where Raskolnikov is essentially trying to make him into one of those people. He calls them a Napoleon, where it's a person who, through sheer might of charm, wit, grace, intelligence, power, gets to decide... This is what is just, and therefore everyone in the society has to follow. And so, it's sort of, uh, you know, this gets to a question of justice, right? Is it, isn't it, an in, is it an innate thing? Try saying that five times. Is it an innate thing, or is it something that is imposed on us by society? So, can a person who is living on their own be just? Now, uh, Socrates sort of argues in that in that manner that even if you were the only person on the planet and you you had thoughts you behaved in a way that was unjust and it's sort of hard to describe right because what what would you call unjust in a world where there's no other people in it you can't rob from people you can't steal from people you can't kill but you can have better and worse thoughts i suppose so he was he was trying to argue that there is a way of living where even if you're on your own, that is a, a just way of living that is inherently good, I suppose, in the universe. I'm, I'm sort of flip-flopping on that a little bit. I could sort of, I can sort of understand that. Something in, in me feels that's sort of correct. If I was going to a cave and I lived in a cave for like 10, 20 years and I chose my thoughts... And those thoughts were all negative and I hated everyone and I was living in that cave out of resentment and because I hated the world, yes, I, I, could, sort of, I could sort of understand why that would be an unjust way of living. But then again, I, f- I feel like there's also the other side of the argument where you need to have other people to be able to even talk about justice. Is it one of those things where it's just not even worth contemplating if it's just you on your own? And Socrates was going down that road. I'm I'm in the middle between that. I haven't got any strong thoughts or either way of of whether that is true or not. But it is something interesting to contemplate. Now, how how did Socrates actually fight against this "might makes right" argument? Well, here are some of the notes that I took down. So, he he had a little bit of a weird argument showing that good must be good and bad is bad. Uh, that that was hard to understand, but. Let's just take that for the moment. Good is good and bad is bad, so you can't have instances where good is bad or instances where bad is good. So I, I guess he's essentially arguing against a point there where I was, I would say good intentions where I've been talking about this recently, good intentions resulting in in bad things happening in the world. I had good intentions in going to you know South America and you know giving five dollars to release some turtles that go to the sanctuary, but maybe my good intentions had bad outcomes in that they were reliant on a unsteady source of income, which eventually, you know, in these COVID times, maybe doesn't translate well into the world and then that is having bad effects, things like that. I think Socrates in that point would say, well, even if you had good intentions, it wasn't good because it resulted in bad things. So therefore good is good and bad is bad, something like that. Then he had the uh, the logical fallacy of uh, Thrasymachus. That's who he was arguing against. Seems to be an internal conflict where part acknowledges that unjust equals bad. I, I could sort of see this in, in his argument as well, where he was essentially saying, like I said at the start, he, he argues that unjust is being unjust is stronger. Stealing from someone makes you stronger. If you are stronger, you have the power, so you get to decide what is right. And if you have the power to decide what is right, you can decide what justice is. So therefore, being bad and doing and stealing bad things actually in the long run is just. But then that has this internal contradiction where at the very start you acknowledge that it's unjust, that you acknowledge that it's a bad thing to steal from people. And it's sort of like a weird circular argument where you're trying to justify doing a bad thing. Sort Sort of, I guess, like if you're thinking about it, it's easier to do a bad thing and therefore being, because it's easy, easy has an internal some sort of way of, of saying like easy is good and therefore it's good to be bad. That, that was sort of the argument, I guess. And then he, he argues, I guess, reasons that unjust can't be stronger uh, due to internal conflicts with numerous rulers, so in a group, and then extends that to the in, individual as well. So this I found actually more convincing and I wish... Plato had made Socrates have more of these arguments where he will get into a specific circumstance and then run that circumstance out and extend it and make it physical, make it something concrete that I can understand. So in this case, he was saying, look, if, you're, if you want to be a ruler, right, if you want to be strong, you can't do it on your own. You, you need multiple people. So it sort of needs to be a collaborative effort to get to that stage where you can say it might makes right. And I think most people would agree with that. I think you would say one unjust person is not stronger than two, two good people together because that's just like however you want to frame it in terms of ideas, in terms of being able to control other people, in terms of straight up physical strength, it'll it'll get beaten every time. And so Thraki however you say his name, agreed with this. And then he said, okay, look, if you're unjust you're going to have internal conflicts because you're not going to be able to agree on anything. You're going to be backstabbing and biting and kicking and fighting and trying to steal from the other person. And so that's going to necessarily devolve into a a system where you're not going to be able to control other people. Therefore, you're not going to be strong. Therefore, you're not going to be able to decide what is right. So therefore, it is not justice. I found that a bit more convincing, to be honest, than some of the arguments he was making, which if you get to it, I think is more of a game theory argument in that you play a game to its logical conclusions and see what happens. And that was something I actually noticed a bit from this. I think it would have been real interesting if game theory had been known in in Plato's time because I think there's a lot of parallels with some of his arguments and the styles that that he makes Socrates do that could have been translated well into his works together. And I'll, I, I did take some some notes onto that, so I'll, I'll get onto that now. Yeah, so it's it's sort of like, uh, I, here's what I wrote down. seems to almost follow a game theory reasoning in that justice is the technique of finding the middle and creating laws. So tit for tat, for example. And yeah, I, I would sort of agree with that. I would agree that, well, uh, agreeing with my own uh, arguments here, how uh, philosophical of you, Karin. <laughs> I, I found that, it was interesting that game theory could be used in this way where not not just examining it in a... Because I've only ever heard of game theory being used in terms of sort of strict argumentative analytical ways of doing things and not applying it to philosophical thoughts like what is justice. But I sort of saw the, the reasoning behind that there where you could... Socrates, Socrates made a an almost game-like argument, game-theory-like argument and that actually had an effect on on his position and on on something subject, so subjective as what is justice. So it just got me thinking that potentially some of the the, the very analytical ways that we're, we're evolving in the world right now could actually be used for some of the subjective things and you can sort of see this if you, I always bring this up but the arguments of, of AI and cars and what do we do when the responsibility for the actions of driving is on a machine it's not on a human person and that gets into a trolley problem sort of arguments is it better to run over one old lady or two school children you'd probably say the one old lady but then okay what is it if and, and there's no choice between the two, it's one of the two options Okay, what if it's, is it better if it's one child or two old lady And then you go, hmm, okay, well, you know, that's two lives against one You'd probably choose the child, but that child has, what, potentially 60 years of their life left And the two old ladies combined maybe only have 20 or 30 years left So then you'd choose the two old lady And then you can come up with all sorts of different arguments, so just got me thinking that yes we can use technology and more analytical less subjective arguments and actually apply those to very subjective things such as what is nature what is true what is justice now some of the things of of socrates himself and it was mostly bad for me, <laughs> to be honest. I didn't, I didn't like a lot of how Plato portrayed him, and this was a running theme also through the dialogue, Some of the dialogues I read in the the Trial and Death of Socrates. So that include uh, Apologies, Phaedo, and Crito, I think. And I'll just list them out now. So he he doesn't define justice. So gets cu- caught up in wordplay and arguments, and it sort of seems like he himself is un- unsatisfied. He, he goes in the book he goes through a lot of different places where some of what he's saying is is okay treat this argument as if it's uh, a flippant nature or like you know we're just spouting some ideas here it's okay and then other times he gets as serious as you can be saying this is, this is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life this is what justice is you need to be aware of this so he sort of goes to be, between the two of them and he also thinks in black and white a lot, which I, I really dislike. I, I dislike when people don't have those nuances, can't think in the in the terms of gray or agree that something can be black sometimes or white sometimes. And he doesn't allow things to be in parts. Once again, still has a bunch of flimsy yes-men around him. And uh, I just, yeah, I mentioned this in the book review as well. There was literally a paragraph where one guy... F- starts talking and has a very strong counter argument against him socrates says one sentence one sentence and then the next thing the guy is like he's done it he's done it this is the most i've I've changed my tune so <laughs> he's just surrounded by people where he, he doesn't get enough counter arguments against him here's, here's uh some of the assumptions and some of the things that he says which also uh, just just strike me as so untrue that it's it's not even worth like this is not even worth really considering. Uh, one of this is no innovation. So he argued that music and poetry can change people's characters and then po- uh, politics, and it's best for the ideal state if the politics don't change, if everything remains the same. So therefore, he was criticizing the um, maybe not the Aeneid, but definitely um, the Iliad and Odyssey by. Homer, he was criticizing that and saying, you know, this is almost worthless. Not not even worthless. It's actually harming the world by having things like these in the world. And music as well, changing changing tunes, changing music is a bad thing. And so, in his ideal state, he would have none of that. There'd be no innovations in music, in drama, in change. And he had a very he, he disliked change in general and. I just don't, I, he didn't get to the fundamentals of why change is bad. And from everything I see in the world, change is just part of the world. If you, if you look at some of the, like Buddhism, for, for example, their main concept is everything is in change. Everything is a state of flux. You can't nail something down. And so you need to be prepared as a human, as as, as, a, as an entity of consciousness to be able to accept that change, and that's essentially why they talk about the dukkha, which is roughly translated not a, it's sort of translated as suffering, but more as a, being in a state of unsatisfact, unsatisfaction. You you're never completely content, and I yeah I just I just don't understand how so, um, Pla- uh, Plato and then Socrates in Plato's writings can can have that point of view. I do yeah just don't really understand it. Uh, he also had uh, no ethical qualms with eugenics and lying to to the citizens of his republic. So you know it just uh, it just got me there's just certain instances where I'd liked his idea. I liked the the thought experiment of taking of building a republic where everything is just. But one, it needs. It probably should have, if you're going to wax philosophical about these sort of things, you should probably put some arguments in place and even have some physical outcomes that you're trying to achieve with it, which is what I'm sort of doing with this. There's, there's actually reasons why I'm recording this. One, it's, it helps me clarify my thoughts and put them out there. I hope it provides value to the listeners as well. They they get some intriguing thoughts, something new coming through their brain, um, their brain or, or ways of thinking. So, but in this, it, it just really struck me as he was he was doing this thought experiment, but there wasn't that much thought being put into how this could be put into practice. And when he did, some of the things are just you know kind of obviously wrong. Eugenics, man. Like he was talking about basically weeding out of the wheat um the weak stock. And maybe this is just because I'm living in the 21st century and I saw what happened in the 20th century of of people trying eugenics and and promoting those ideas and uh newsflash didn't go particularly great for the world as a whole. So yeah, I, I uh I really struggled with that. And then also he, he talked about what is justice and the justice is doing good and not yeah, in in the start, he said you can't. One of his arguments was you can't lie to people. You can't do bad things, and there be good. Good is good, bad is bad. And then he's saying, but in the most ideal just state, yes, you can lie to the citizens to do maintain the state. So your your just your whole just system, your republic, is built on lies as well. So yeah, I I um. I understand the necessity for lying sometimes and keeping secrets, but I, I don't think it's the most ideal just state, which is what he was aiming to create. Now, some of the assumptions as well, uh, same conditions that give rise to justice in the state are also the same in the individual. So therefore, a just state must be the same as a just individual. I don't think it works like that. I don't think people... Just because a person is good and they operate in a system therefore that system is good or vice versa just because a a system has people doing certain things doesn't mean that it they're actually doing good in the world sort of intentions matter I guess uh, we all have different natures that are suited to different occupations so that was he was essentially saying uh, you know if you have the nature of a carpenter that's all you can be you're not allowed to change and <laughs> I don't know maybe it's just because I've Myself, have gone through, I don't know, three or four different professions and that seems to be what most people do nowadays. You're not a lifer in anything anymore. It's very rare to find those people who are a coal miner for life, an engineer for life, an architect for life, a doctor for life. People change a lot more. They go through different professions. And uh, yeah, I think his his reliance on things not changing influences this point of view which just totally contradicts with basically everything I've seen in the world. Uh, everything which is good and the best is that which is the least liable, liable to change or be affected by external sources. And so that finally, yeah, hits that same point. He, he's very strict with what he's, um, with what he's saying and you can't change, which resonated throughout the book. That was a, a pretty constant theme. Now, I've got some... Of the general, I only managed to do little summaries of five of the ten books actually contained within it. So, I mean, I, I just mentioned it now, so I'll go on with it. So, book one is a the main thing is the debate against Thrasy Marcus doesn't define justice but defeats the two arguments. <laughs> so, book two, um, he complains of the modern stories and would answer them, and then begins explaining about the perfect state and how it needs guardians. So you can sort of see like that just covers, what, 60 pages there, are, maybe even more, and it doesn't really get to the heart of, like it just skips things, it just skips things. It covers 72 pages and he, he doesn't define justice. Like the whole book is meant to be, out, be about justice and he doesn't define it in a clear, concise manner. Book three, The Necessity of Training and Testing the Youth Through Music and Gymnastics and How Intimidating um, Knowledge of Baseness Corrupts Impressionable Minds. So there he was was talking about how his state could be formed, why the youth should be kept separate and brought up in such a strict manner. Book four, uh, there are three principles of the soul, reason, uh, uh, like desire and spirit. Uh, justice is the psychological state of binding the three principles inside a man who transfers onto uh, a state so just actions follow from achieving the state so he was talking there i guess which was interesting that, that a mental state is what you need to achieve to therefore be just that actually ties in a little bit with buddhism if you think about it which is nirvana the achieving of that enlightened state is what is the most best which essentially is what justice is arguing what is the most best in the world book five talks about some of the female guardians and to be equal to males and if they're of the same nature and there will be a it's almost like a communistic social setup and i'll I'll touch on that and then the republic needs to be led by philosopher kings yeah he talked uh, in large parts about ideas that were quite communistic in nature so the people who were growing up to be the philosopher kings in this ideal state of his they wouldn't have mums and dads they they would have collectives of people The, the kids would be raised by their guardians so there would be no attachments to certain people you also weren't allowed to privately own land if you were a Uh, or I I think even material possessions you weren't allowed to have things for yourself if you were one of these guardians, one of these leaders so there are another five books but by this point in my own reading I'd I'd sort of lost the train of thought a lot I I was struggling to understand his arguments from here on out and if you want to know the themes of the book go check out the other book review I did because I do talk about those in general, but I'm not as specific as I have done in this episode here. So, those are just uh, you know some ramblings, some my, some of my own philosophizings on uh, on Plato's Republic. It was a- an intriguing book all up. I already mentioned that I think potentially in the future I I might be able to have a second go at it if I have a bit more thought, a bit more understanding of the world. But that being said, it still is not an easy book to read. It is tedious in some parts. It is not flowing, not, doesn't follow a great structure. And so there are large sections where you will get lost, I think. But anywho, that's that's it. There's my little ramblings of Plato's Republic. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any thoughts of, of what I said, anything struck you out as interesting, yeah, let me know. I'd be... I'd love to engage with people and talk more about these things. I get great joy doing this. So that's it for today. Kyron out.